AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save Save over $130 million. To save, visit healthlock.com today. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's PACASO.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. everyone and welcome to forward thinking the podcast that looks at the future and says so we went out magneto and titanium man and the crimson dynamo came along for the ride i'm jonathan strickland i'm lauren vogelbaum and i'm joe mccormick and today we are going to be doing an episode based on a listener request yeah Uh, yeah, this is one that came in from facebook right derek barrows asked if we might explore a certain topic that was of interest to him right right a certain Super heroic topic. Sort of. Somewhat. Yes. Yeah. He wanted to know if um, we could talk about the science behind X-Men, which is a tall order. Well, it's especially tall because the X-Men is fantasy. Yeah. I mean, there is no genetic modification that will allow you to turn your body into fire. Or or adamantium-like steel or something. It's pretty unlikely at any rate. Uh, yeah, it's, it's way more fantasy than science fiction. Right. But we could look at it from a sort of almost there perspective. Yeah. Where we say, okay, for each individual X-man... X X person member person member of the member of the X X X man is totally acceptable. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Each individual They're, member of Professor X's elite uh force of school, men and women school for, school for mutants yeah I is mean, there a way X person sounds like you have passed on <laughs> Okay, we're <laughs> we're moving on, Jonathan. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck for on that. For each individual X man, yes. is there a way that we could use science and technology to somewhat mimic 
this person's super mutant powers right. in the real world. So so is there a way that such a power could be achievable either through uh, some sort of alteration of a person? Right. So like cybernetics or genetic modification. Right. Or mm-hmm. just simply using uh, technology to mimic that power. So maybe a suit of some sort that could mimic one of the X-Men's powers. And as it turns out, another big challenge here that Derek has given us is the fact that the X-Men uh happens to be a group that has had a lot of different characters in it. Uh yeah, there's a few characters in the Marvel universe. I don't know if you guys know this. Um Yeah. Yeah, so, like a few as in like a few thousand. <laughs> and and a good percentage of them have been in the X-Men at some point or another. Uh yeah, and for that reason we're going to need to split this into a couple of podcasts. So right. today we are just focusing on the characters that I just recently found out were the, quote, original team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Way back when the comic book started. Right. Yeah. I'm going to have to make a confession right here to the fans. Please don't hate me for this, but I'm sort of a casual X-Men oh, fan. Oh, that's that's okay, Joe. I'm not going to call you a fake geek girl. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> right. I am a fake geek girl. <laughs> so, but, but in other words, like, if you only knew the X-Men from, say, the, the film Films. versions, yeah. then you have a, some of the cartoons. You oh, know. Okay, right, sure, right. Yeah. But you, you, I'm, I'm just giving an example, Joe, not yeah. saying you specifically, but if you out there in the listener land are only familiar with X-Men through those methods or those, those forms of media, then, you know, you know, you might think, oh, Wolverine, Wolverine was always part of the X-Men. Of course. No, uh, no. not not part of the original X-Men. So you're so, breaking yeah. my heart. But we will uh, get to Wolverine in the next podcast. Right. In right. Part two. Along yeah. with some of our other uh, sorted, sorted, assorted and sundry favorites. Yeah. Like, <laughs> some of them are sorted, I guess. Like like Nightcrawler, one of my favorites. Yes. Not, not in the original X-Men. But Kurt. we will we will be covering uh, Nightcrawler in the second episode. So who? Will we be covering well, today? It's got to be Cyclops, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Scott, Scott Summers, Summers has been there since the beginning. Okay, yep. I got to raise my hand and have a question here. Maybe right. it's because I'm a casual fan that I don't understand this, but I've always had a question. Okay, about how Cyclops works. Sure. When he does his little eye beam thing, yeah, it, it's kind of a big eye beam thing, really. Yeah, it's not not that. Okay, tiny, so sure, he presses a little button on his head, and a huge. <laughs> gigantic beam comes out of his face, hits somebody, knocks him back 20 feet across the room. Yeah. I'm confused about what that beam is because it looks on one hand like it should be uh, sort of a laser or some kind of energy weapon. Right. uh, Which would seem to have a kind of burning or irradiating effect. But instead, if you judge just by what it does to the enemy, it seems to be more concussive, like it's a it's a force knocking them back. Yeah, Joe, it sounds to me like you're not familiar with concussive force beams. Nope. <laughs> Probably because they only exist in the comic books. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's it's a form of energy. Many of the types of energy that are found in comics and many of the materials that are found in comics are completely made up. They're made up in order to make the comic uh, exciting. And, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of makes sense there if they're logically consistent within the context of the comic book. But once mm-hmm. you take it out of that, you think, how is that going to be possible? Uh, I have my own theory about this also. It would seem that in, in comic books, especially in comic books and cartoons that are more aimed at a younger audience, it might be kind of weird if one of your main heroes is constantly burning people alive. Oh, yeah, that yeah. would be messy. So, that so would kind of be it, gross. It's much nicer to just kind of yeah. push them. It's it, a, like you might as well have just kicked them really hard. It, it yeah. kind of kind of falls into the same category of uh, watching the old G.I. Joe cartoons and everyone's just shooting blue and red light at each other that doesn't seem actually cause damage to anything other than vehicles. Right. And it doesn't matter because as soon as a vehicle's damaged, you see the little parachute. Um, but okay, this concussive force yeah. beam, sorry, to get back to it. Uh, the, the, right. And it looks like a laser because that looks cool. On right, the right. Page. I mean, how are you going to depict it, right? Right. I mean, you, it, clearly you wouldn't want it to be invisible because then it would just be some guy staring really hard at someone else and they suddenly fly backward and you think, what's happening? Is that telekinesis or? So obviously it needs to be exciting to the, to the reader. It has to be something that is, uh, going to really uh, grab the imagination. If we're talking about real-world uh, correlatives, it's most going to resemble probably either shockwaves or lasers, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the closest we can say. One, based upon the uh, result 
that we see when Scott Summers blasts mm-hmm. somebody and one that's based more on the appearance of it as it's depicted in the comic books. Uh, right. And shock waves like like sound waves could hypothetically be used in a, in a weaponized way. Like oh, this. sure. Yeah. I mean, sound is a physical force, right? Mm-hmm. This is a physical uh, type of, of uh, phenomenon. So it's the movement of particles, really. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it doesn't necessarily have to just be through air. It can be through any medium. Right. Mm-hmm. So sound travels physically through a medium. Uh, as long as it's not a vacuum. Right. Well, yeah, you have to have you have to have something there. I mean, I think you of a vacuum as particles. An, I think yeah. of a vacuum as an absence of a medium. But okay. but that's fair. Um, I'm thinking physical medium. So if you have a physical medium of some sort, whether it's gas, liquid, solid uh, sound can move through it. It moves through at different speeds depending upon the density and the the nature of that material. Uh, and it can have enough of a force to to knock you over. I mean, same sort of thing is just the expansion of air as well, mm-hmm. if you are causing air to expand very quickly. But, for example, with a, a supersonic jet, you guys may have heard a sonic boom if a supersonic jet passes overhead. Uh-huh. The really cool thing is that as long as that jet is traveling at a supersonic speed, it is generating a sonic boom. It's called a, a boom blanket. Uh, right, right. It's not just the single moment. It, the the thing that you hear isn't the single moment of the of the plane crossing the sound barrier. Right. It's it's a continual thing that that everyone along the plane's path is going to hear. Yeah. If you could travel on the ground at the same rate as the plane flying overhead, you would constantly hear it. Plus, you'd be generating your own. Um. But at any rate, uh, it's it's really you know the kind of thing that if you are close enough to it, you could get feel an impact from that shock wave. Uh, however, directing it at a specific location is a little more tricky. I mean, you can use acoustic waves in, in interesting ways. There's some acoustic levitation that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of really cool examples of this, uh, but we don't necessarily have a truly weaponized form of it where you could direct it at a person to knock them off their feet. Um, now, I'm sure people have been at things like concerts or whatever where they can feel that that percussive force whenever mm-hmm. the air is uh moving through due to a uh, really low bass but yeah. it's a little different. Okay, but I have another uh, question I want to introduce here. Okay. Which is that it's not a machine on Cyclops' head that is producing this effect. No. It seems to be that his eyes are naturally producing his, the effect. His eyes are doing it all the time, and, and the only thing that keeps him from just shooting these concussive beams at everyone constantly is that little ruby visor that yeah. he's wearing. So when right. he pushes the button, he's essentially removing opening, a filter. Right, right, or, or opening an aperture in yeah. it or something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like a shutter. Yeah. yeah. Which would be really tricky if it were real, because, I mean, so... So the, this this follows his gaze, right? It's coming out wherever he's looking with his eyeballs. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if he, I he, guess, he, I mean, technically, it just seems to come straight out of his eyes. So I don't know if it necessarily needs to be where his uh, where where he's looking, as opposed to where his face is facing, <laughs> pointing. Yeah. Well, although if you wanted to base it on on eye movement, like a weapon like that, you could certainly track um, uh, the the user's eye movement yes. using a a pretty simple app, actually. Yeah, eye tracking hardware exists mm-hmm. today. I mean, we yeah. can already do this. And so, if you did want to create a machine that would maybe shoot a laser wherever you're looking, I think that's totally doable. You could get a pair of glasses that track your pupils and then see, okay, I just glanced at Jonathan's shoulder and now burn that. And yeah. Now I just glanced at his top of his head. Do that now. You're a mean man. <laughs> first of all, first of all, you're mean. Second of all. Um, I mean, well, you would be able to remove any kind of aiming issue you might have between what you are seeing and how you are able to, you know, like your, your hand eye coordination. That right. part is no longer, you know, it's just eye coordination, right? Yeah. There is a downside. So it's not coordination. Yeah. <laughs> there is a downside. Uh, exactly. There's no coordination because it's only one thing. The downside, the biggest downside would be any laser that's going to be sufficiently powerful enough to cause that kind of damage is also going to be so bright as to cause permanent eye damage for you, the user. Um, if you've ever looked into any of the consumer lasers that are powerful enough to set fire to something simple like a, a piece of paper that's got dark uh, color on it, mm-hmm. and it's, which is slightly easier to, to ignite than, say, white paper, uh, any laser that's in the visible spectrum is going to be so bright at that power uh, that it could cause permanent damage, at least temporary damage. So an, a head-mounted laser weapon that is uh, completely commanded by your eyes may not be the best choice. Okay. Yeah. 
You've convinced me. I mean, essentially, I think any weapon where it's shooting from your face is yeah. probably not the best way to go. Yeah, I wouldn't really face mount many weapons. I no. mean, I mean, if it's even if it's just a concussive beam and not a bright laser, you're, you're going to have, I'm sure, some kind of kickback from I, it. And I, that's a very good point. That you just have black eyes all the time. It would be really bad, you guys. I've I been told the, that my face is already weaponized. <laughs> so the kickback point is a good point because it also introduces the energy concern. Yes. I mean, imagining that you are, you have something coming out of your eyes, like even if we go to just the pure fantasy realm and say somehow you've got something coming out of your eyes that's a directed energy weapon, where's that energy coming from? Yeah. I mean, you can't just create energy. You would have to somehow, I I don't know, you'd have to have a battery powering it, a very powerful one. Like a big battery pack or something. And if we're, if we're going through the biological side, let's say that just taking the comic book and that somehow we were able to make Scott Summers appear here in I the had flesh, to eat like forty-five wedding cakes yeah. in order to blast. <laughs> right, like, the like what, how how would, would you actually generate the energy necessary to? I mean, I don't understand that at all in the mutant universe. All the mutants. This doesn't just apply to to, to Cyclops, but all the mutants who have any sort of energy-based power, the energy has to come from them, right? Well, off off panel, they never stop eating. I guess so. I like, like whenever, like at the whenever edges there's of every panel, like, there's be, just a million Twinkies. It'd be fantastic if you just saw like little food crumbs coming off the edge of the panels whenever, like that's just when they're shoving yeah. food into their faces so that their metabolism can keep up and they can generate yeah. the energy necessary. Yeah, yeah that's a that's you know a legitimate point, Absolutely. and it's gonna be it's gonna yeah. be a legitimate point for just about everyone we talk about. Okay, but let's just put all that aside and play fantasy here for a second. Let's just say you could have some kind of unlimited energy reserve in your body. Is there a way you actually could, you know, use your eyes to direct an energy beam? Because the eyes are sort of they're input devices, not output devices. Oh well, most of the time. Um. Okay, I suppose that. We might be able to devise some kind of genetic upgrade, and and I'm real dubious about whether this would be an upgrade or not. Um, to to create or, or install a kind of like tapetum lucidum in the human eye. Oh, what's Wadama, that? Wadama? Is that a uh, Harry Potter spell? Yes. Okay. No. No. Um. No. It's it's the it's the organ in many animals that creates like eye glow in low light. So oh. if you've ever been in a dark room, um, with your cat or and, an alligator or an alligator, I've been in a dark room with an alligator a couple times. Okay. Yeah. And their eyes have been glowing all creepy at you. Yep. Yeah. Um. Or, or like raccoons. Uh. Lots of lots of animals have this thing, but humans do not. Um. It's a reflective layer that gives the eyeballs um rods and cones a second chance at at collecting light, so it helps the animals see better in the dark. Gotcha. So great for nocturnal animals. Super rad. Yes. Um. And and humans do not, in fact, have it. If if you're thinking, but I've seen red eye in photos in lots of people. That is not because of a tapetum lucidum. That is because of light reflecting off of the blood vessels in the back of our eyes. Oh. Um. So I guess you could say that what Scott has is like the most intense version of red eye imaginable. <laughs> so, so intense that it's been magnified and focused to yeah. a phenomenal degree. Yeah. So, so you know, maybe, maybe that if you know, if if we put in some kind of tapetum lucidum, um, and then combined that with some sort of really advanced microlensing technology, like contacts or nanobots or whatever, um, then then you could you could join forces with these things to to create something not entirely quite like eye lasers. <laughs> um, although the problem of getting them to shoot out of your eyes without also just burning your eyeballs from the inside out would be a pretty major one. Not I to mention think. it would be reliant upon uh, light coming in as opposed to light emanating from you because uh, it's reflecting. Maybe maybe there's some meta materials that <laughs> reflect more light than they take in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's a that's a long stretch for that one. This, what we're this getting has been at is a very a very wonderful lark, Lauren. <laughs> but I, I'm gonna say for my money, I think the closest thing we could possibly get that we've talked about is just some kind of head mounted laser yeah. Yeah. that was guided by eye tracking software. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think then, it's much safer as an external system. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and even then you're not talking about like a, a wide beam as we see in the right. comic books. It would be a pinpoint, right? Unless yeah. you had some sort of splitter or whatever, in which case it's not gonna have the uh the the punch that right. that a focused laser would. Okay, let's go on to one that I'm sure is gonna be much more plausible. Sure. 
Iceman. Yeah. Yeah, Bobby Drake. Yeah, so Iceman is uh, one of the original members. Um, his powers include the ability to turn his body into ice, and yet he could still move around and function. He could also, depending upon the version you're reading, he could either generate ice, uh, you know, as much as possible, or he could convert any sort of, uh, uh, humidity or water in the area into ice. He could lower the temperature and use it to make ice. Now, wait, can he sort of like blast beams of cold? He sort of blasts beams of ice or, or just projections of ice. Yeah. Yeah. It's not okay. so much. It's not so much a cold beam as when he puts his hands out, then you see ice emanating from his hands. And it's like usually really scary ice cubes. Just yeah. bam, bam. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. He can do he can do crushed or cube. Um, <laughs> he uh, he's very popular at all the parties that the X-Men can have. he do that glacier ice stuff, though? He does. What he does is he does the thing where he makes a platform out of ice and then he essentially magically skates across it while mm-hmm. generating it directly in front of himself. And that's it's like he gets Frozone. Around. Frozone, I would say, is very largely based on Iceman. <laughs> But with it's, better it's attitude. Not, it's not magic. He's just a really good surfer. <laughs> yeah. Not as good as Silver Surfer, by no. the way. But he's not a mutant, so we're not going to talk about him. Okay. Well, <laughs> at first glance, you might think, okay, maybe, maybe something like this is possible because we have refrigeration technology. And oh, we yeah, have, like really uh, good refrigeration yeah, technology. We, yeah. can, we can create via technology extremely cold environments, like mm-hmm. the the environments that they have to uh, that they have to use to test space telescope mirrors before they send them into space are these Mm -hmm. super, super cooled environments that are getting close down to absolute zero. Or the super cold environment that's necessary in order for something like the Large Hadron Collider to work. Yeah. Where we're we're super cooling uh, uh, semiconductors and superconductors. Okay. Uh, But the thing is about all of those is that humans aren't really supposed to hang out. In those temperatures. Yeah. we That's one thing. We don't thing. do so well when our body... <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we talked in our, our episode about reanimating the dead, about the problems with cryonics, and yeah. one of the big ones being the challenge of slowly uh, lowering a person's body temperature in a, in a series of uh, efforts in order to get them to the right temperature, and we still don't know that we could ever bring them back from that because... Uh, our bodies aren't designed for that. We don't we don't do well. And our body temperature, once it goes down below a certain level, we're not so active anymore. <laughs> right. Well, we're not just creatures that you can just freeze and thaw out. We we're, we're, we suffer cellular damage. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. We we contain a whole lot of water. Water expands when it freezes, uh, which is terrific for for many physical properties uh, of, of the planet Earth, but is really terrible for you. Yeah. So like, if, and your cells. Yeah. If yeah. Parts of your body freeze. It's not just like, you know, the meat that froze in your freezer and then you can thaw it out and then basically it's still pretty much like meat. Live tissue doesn't work that way. It gets damaged. Yeah. And mm-hmm. stuff happens to it that makes it not work. Yeah. It's bad times. Now, not all animals on Earth are necessarily like that. For example, there are some fish, uh, some water dwelling creatures mm-hmm. that have genes that make their body tissues frost resistant in mm-hmm. a way that ours aren't. And. It's possible. I mean, you could say, well, we could create a transgenic human, maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, possibly, because we, we do that with tomatoes, right? There's um, there's well, some tomatoes that are frost resistant because they have this fish gene. Uh, I don't know if those actually worked, but they tried huh. to make. Them. Yeah. OK. And I think in the I think in the 90s, there was a company that tried to use uh these frost-resistant fish genes to make tomatoes frost-resistant. And, Which, of course, people freaked out because they were like, oh, no, fish tomatoes. It's Frankenstein. Or, ah! or, or it's going to be fish-flavored tomatoes, which just shows a distinct misunderstanding of how genes work. Right. But so if if Bobby Drake got this fish transplant, <laughs> he he might taste fishy, this but is probably already, not. Already the best <laughs> issue of X-Men I've ever heard of. Please continue. <laughs> he, he was a transgenic human that was, you know, as an embryo, given a, a splice in from a fish gene that would allow parts of his body to freeze and then thaw out without the kind of tissue damage that a human would normally uh, sustain. I don't know if that's really possible, but there's sort of one very far off maybe avenue. Okay, but but that's just preventing our dear friend Bobby, from dying immediately upon activating his mutant powers. Yeah, his, um, his X-Men power is he doesn't get cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the one guy in the movie theater. I, was, I don't know what you're complaining about. Okay, yeah, but the next problem here is that we don't have someone emanating cold yeah. yet. 
Um, and this, this is really tricky, okay, because most of our bodily functions create heat as byproducts of their electrochemical and, and physical reactions. Right. Yeah, heat is waste. Yeah. Right, right. It's a waste product. Um, and so creating a mechanism by which a living body would give off cold instead of heat. I mean, even considering that, that cold and heat are, are technically relative. Right, um, right. Something it, is colder or hotter than something else, but you don't have an absolute cold or hot. Right. Um, it, it's really biologically unlikely because it's just not the way that metabolism works. Yeah. You'd have to have some sort of organic heat exchange system that worked at an incredible level of efficiency and speed. And that doesn't really there's not an organic way of doing yeah, that. Yeah, you, you could be a you could be a heat sink, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the problem we're getting to is that you don't really give off cold. Yeah, yeah. nothing I mean, gives off cold. You, you, you can be a heat sink. And what's happening there is that you're colder than the things around you and mm-hmm. you're pulling heat away from them. Uh, right. right, right. It's coming into you. So that's why an ice cube feels cold. It's not that it's giving your hand cold. It's that it's stealing heat from your hand. Right. Yeah. And so that it would be hard to direct something like that. Yeah. I can't really, and cold doesn't radiate the way heat does. Like you can have heat with infrared radiation that's uh, directed right, right. out into yeah, space. Heat, heat is radiation. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. But, but cold doesn't work that way. And so the only way I can think that you can direct like a beam of cold would be to sort of spray a cold substance like a cold gas or a cold liquid liquid nitrogen okay. or something like liquid that so, so something more like more like mr freeze does yeah, yeah. but yeah. then but then you're kind of getting away from the x-men idea yeah. and you're just saying like well okay so i've got a gun hooked up to a tank full of liquid nitrogen on my back and i can squirt it at you but, but that might be about as close as we can get yeah yeah um, so I, iceman not one of the more likely ones we could translate in any meaningful way uh, if we move on to the next original member of the X-Men, that would be Angel. Yeah, Warren Worthington Third. Angel. Okay, so in my casual X-Men exposure, I was aware of Archangel, but never just Angel. Same, 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 same dude. dude. Yeah. Yeah. I think something happened to him. In yeah. Between. Some, there was some kind of many, metal wings. Many things happened. Happen. Yeah. There's, there are several different, uh, incarnations of Angel, including the, mm-hmm. a blue metal winged version and, uh, but the original one Marvel. was a original one was a a dude with wings who could also shoot stu- energy, vaguely defined energy from his hands. Okay, and um, so we've already kind of covered the energy thing because um, it yeah. was very similar yeah. to the concussive blast from right. from uh, Cyclops in a way. So you could put lasers on your hands, but yeah, yeah. And, you know, and keep eh. in mind, keep in mind, <laughs> lasers also require quite a lot of energy. So you would have. Uh, have to carry pretty heavy battery packs if you wanted to be able to shoot lasers from your hands, and that would be exhausting. And uh, and even then, they would drain fairly quickly, and you would end up with you know these these weights strapped to your arms that don't actually do anything. Okay, okay. So we've done lasers. Let's okay. focus on the wings. All right. So uh, Angel's wings are on his back, uh, very much in the way that uh, that a lot of uh, mythological angels are right. Yeah. yeah, with the the wings are located behind like the the shoulder blades, and mm-hmm. they then mm-hmm. they can extend out to either side of the person. Um, so you know, birds have wings. If we put wings on a human like that, they'd just be able to fly. I mean, you just have to make them like long enough so that they'd be the same as you know, relatively speaking, a ratio wise, uh, like a bird, right? Uh, well, you'd also have to hollow out the human's bones, <laughs> yeah. uh, lighten their entire physical structure, and give them a metabolism capable of producing enough energy to allow for flight. Plus, right. alter muscular structure and skeletal structure so that the muscles have something to hold on to, and uh, that would mean that we'd have brand new muscles that humans don't have currently, <laughs> uh, because because wings on a bird that kind of corresponds to our arms, right? Sure, sure. So if you cut off your arms right. and attached wings to the to the same musculature, you might get around some of that. Uh, maybe I would still think you'd have a problem with the fact that the human body. I I would guess is too dense. But yeah, I, mean, bir- I definitely know some fly. people who are too dense. <laughs> Birds fly not just because they have wings, but as you pointed out, because they have a very high surface area to mass ratio when they've got their wings extended. So they can get a lot of the, you know, they can get a lot of that air flowing under them in the right way. Um, and they don't weigh very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
when you when you increase the weight of a bird, you're cutting down on its ability to fly. It's the same reason you see uh, like an airplane, a heavier than air aircraft, has to use a lot of energy to stay in the air. Mm-hmm. That's why they use so much fuel is, is that they've got to maintain these really fast speeds in order to, to keep slamming enough air under the plane and stay aloft. Right. When, when you've got a heavy, dense object, your energy requirements quickly go out of control. Well, there are multiple things that would have to happen in order for a human to even remotely be close to being able to fly like a bird, right? So one is that putting the wings on the back is a no-go. Uh, that would be That would require a type of motion that is not really conducive to flying. You might be able to have gliding if you had a large enough wingspan. Sure. Um, but you would not be able to, to fly like a bird because your your limbs would not be located in the right place for you to get the correct kind of, uh, of stroke you would need in order mm-hmm. to fly. Mm-hmm. So uh, wings on the back, that doesn't work. You would have to have them uh, located more or less where our arms are now. Uh, you would need to have the solve the density problem, and like you were saying, Lauren, that it takes a lot of energy to fly. Oh yeah, yeah. So, but you know, if if we could fix that energy problem, um, you know, increase the human metabolism and circulation and respiration to the point where our musculoskeletal systems could in fact handle flight, that would be super rad for for other reasons too. Oh um, sure. Uh, like, like, look at, look at bats, which are the only mammal which truly flies instead of merely gliding. Although mm-hmm. I'd say that gliding is pretty cool on its own. Um, <laughs> their, their, their immune systems, because of, of their higher metabolisms, are really for serious. They're so excellent. It's, um, all, all that extra bodily heat, like they run up above 100 degrees, like around like 104 when they're active, um, means that they're basically inhospitable to most bacteria and, and viruses that are really terrible for us. Right. And I'm sure that bacteria and viruses would evolve over time if, if they didn't have, say, us to make delicious snacks sure, out of. Sure, sure. But, but that could be really cool. I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, why bats are often a reservoir for disease that can be spread to other animals. They think that's it exactly. They actually think that um, that Ebola probably originated in bats and that um, when a bat has something as as deadly for humans as Ebola, it's like, it's like the flu to us. It's like a common cold. Um, mm. but, but they're, but they're able, able to, uh, to host, uh, to, to be reservoirs for those kind of deadly, deadly viruses. Um, and, huh. and as human civilization is encroaching on their territory, they're we spreading, them. they're spreading the viruses to either our yeah. farm animals or to us. Okay. So that's true. Maybe we could genetically engineer humans to, to be capable of flight. I mean, th- that seems pretty, pretty far out there, but yeah. not, not impossible. I, I think at that point, you, it would, you would require systemic changes. You couldn't call them Lots. a human anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. The, you know, because the, the, just the changes alone in the circulatory and respiratory systems would make them look very different from us. Sure. Mm-hmm. But the question is, do we even need to worry about this? Because we have, the ability to fly. Yeah. We just need machines to help us do it. Right. We've got these things called planes and helicopters and gyrocopters and all sorts of stuff that we can use to and gliders. Be able to, yeah. yeah. To, to get around if we want to, whether it's recreationally or we actually need to get from point A to point B. Uh, I guess the thing that's appealing about having wings like Angel instead of like having a small aircraft is something about agility and uh, that, that you're just more mobile like you wouldn't have to like get in the plane yeah. and then get on well, a runway it's, it's an ultimate expression of freedom it's the same yeah. sort of right, freedom right. that having your own car represents it's the right? american dream yeah you, it's the jetpack dream you could literally go wh- wherever whenever you wanted because you had the means of transportation par- as part of you so i can certainly see where the appeal is and uh you know the the, the classic if you had a choice between two superpowers one's invisibility and one's flight which do you go with i'm a, i'm a flight guy so, I mean, I, I totally get it from that perspective. But, uh, yeah, there, we've seen some kind of cool developments in wingsuit technology that mm-hmm. would give you more of a flight-like experience without having anything else strapped to you. So these are suits that end up increasing the surface area of a person. It takes a lot of skill to actually use one effectively. Um, I've heard of some pretty, uh, pretty harrowing experiences with people who hadn't really had a lot of experience with this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and they could go into a role and that's pretty bad. But these are always used in tandem with uh, parachutes. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that it slows your level of descent. You, you start falling 
uh, vertically at a, a slower speed while still maintaining your horizontal movement. So you can uh, continue to move forward and fly, but you're also falling. You're not you're not generating enough lift for you to to go up to ascend at all. Mm-hmm. So eventually you have to deploy your parachute essentially at the same altitude that you would if you were doing a normal jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that you're able to move forward quite a bit in that same amount of uh, of vertical space. And so it's it's cool. And then if you wanted to do something really nifty, you could attach a motor to yourself and have a jet pack <laughs> wingsuit. Okay. Did you guys see about the guy who flew around the Alps with this? He did, no. a, did a, an eight-minute flight with a jetpack wingsuit, and it was pretty awesome. And it looks like a superhero flying around, albeit a superhero is not going to be a whole lot of use once he hits the ground because his suit is kind of bulky. Bulky, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was really neat to watch, and uh, that's something that's a, a possibility, but that's about as close as we're going to get to Angel's abilities. Okay. How about we move on to another one? Okay. Yeah. The big blue furball. Well, okay, you're talking about Beast. But yes. in the original comics, he was not blue or a furball. He was kind really? of, he was kind of yeah. a squat dude who looked a little kind of like a feline. A little oh, bit. His features uh, had a little bit of a feline no, he was, he shape. Was, he was almost almost more gorilla-ish, I think, in, in the originals. Than, I guess. Than I fe- guess. There's, I'm, I'm thinking of his head. Right now. Yeah, what, yeah. the original Whoa. Beast? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Hank, yeah. Hank McCoy, uh, yeah. Dr. Hank McCoy, pardon me, um, uh, had physical proportions along the lines of, of like a non-human great ape, like a, mm-hmm. like a gorilla. He had the longer arms, the larger hands, and, and larger, more dexterous feet. Uh, that the fur and cat-like features and physical resilience and wall climbing and all of those other powers were due to various secondary mutations, uh, depending on which comics you were reading at the time. Right. Yeah, he was... Um, he was just kind of strong yeah. and, and smart. Yeah, which was, you know, uh, they didn't dream as big, I guess, in that first <laughs> in that first run. But of course, he the the story about his mutation is that it continued on. That the what you saw in those original comics wasn't the uh, the the full uh, maturation of his mutation. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's something was, else. That... Yeah, well, it was usually due, I think, to to his own tinkering in one mm. way or another. So but... the question there is, could we really make a human being? be similar to to the beast part of this is of course again a look at changing the actual physiology of a human like if you're talking about um you know altering the the ratio of how long an uh, your arm span is that kind of stuff uh you know of course there are people who are born with various mutations where sure. their arms might be longer than what would be normal for a person of that frame or maybe within the norm I should say as opposed to normal that has its mm-hmm. own loaded uh, you know like, term. like some some of the some of the olympic athletes for example have yeah. have bodies that just happen to be extremely well suited to whatever right yeah you can see some swimmers who have really long arms mm-hmm. that are that helps them in their uh, uh in their sport um designing that genetically might not be an impossibility in the future. It's not something we can do even remotely right now. Oh, right, right. But it could be that with a greater understanding of genetics and the ability to alter them, that we could, in fact, uh, start to engineer people to have better physical abilities and better physical resilience. Well, if you're talking about making someone more like a gorilla, I mean, it seems inherently easier i mean i'm not a geneticist obviously <laughs> it seems inherently easier to make someone more like a close genetic relative of their species well i think no matter i don't know that we would ever get to like a transgenic approach though mm-hmm. um, i think it would be more likely we would identify the genes responsible for certain development in human beings and then mm-hmm. tweak them as opposed to uh, take take uh, you know, a biomimicry approach. Um, although that, I guess that's a possibility. It's just that the genetics of an ape and the genetics of a human are, have enough differences where I'm not sure that that's the right way to go, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And in the strength scientists think in, in great apes is not only due to their, to their limb proportions and, and, and musculoskeletal systems. Okay. Um, you know, they, they are much stronger than humans, like, like reports vary, but it's at least twice as strong. Uh, upper body wise at any rate. And, and some of it researchers suspect has to do with their neural makeup, especially in the spine. Um, the, the idea goes that humans have a lot of motor neurons in our spines, which gives us really 
good fine motor control and really good uh, endurance. Like mm. we can we can run really fast and we can type on a keyboard when we get there. But it makes it really difficult for us to coordinate all of our muscles in in the kind of bursts of strength that right. we see in apes. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you're talking about the sort of strength that you see in the comics where Beast is able to do truly superhuman feats – we would also be limited by just the the fragility of our bodies, right? I mean, there's some things that you're not going to be able to do because it would it would injure you to do mm-hmm. so, right? I, I'm reminded of I think it was a Saturday Night Live skit actually, where uh, the the skit was that there was a weightlifter who was going to lift an enormous amount of weights, and so uh, it's a one of the SNL guys in a suit that's made to look super Muscle bulky, suit, sort yeah. of like mm-hmm. the old Hans and Franz yeah. stuff. <laughs> And he stands up and both arms rip off because they're, they're still holding on to the weight because the weight was too big. And he just looks disappointed. Aww. He's not, he's not, he's not screaming he's not in upset. pain or anything. He's just like, oh man. But, uh, uh, you know, sort of the, the same sort of thing is the sense that, you know, you, there, we'd be limited by our own bodies, not just in the, the capacity of strength we have, but how much, uh, how much, weight our body oh, could yeah, actually support yeah. it, it would be it would be a lot of genetic tinkering to to bring all of those factors together um uh his his intelligence is also partially a mutation yeah. um and and that you know we, we've done episodes whole episodes before on how we might make ourselves smarter yeah and we're getting into sort of gattaca territory with this stuff too mm-hmm. right this idea of being able to tweak ourselves through genetic manipulation to have the best us that we can be uh, right right and, and there are a lot of questions that come up with oh that. so many ethical questions yeah. i mean because mostly this wouldn't be stuff that we could do to ourselves but due to a next generation of of embryos that right. would be futzing with and so and beyond that you have the question of if this becomes available who does it become available to oh yeah. so even if you eventually say yeah this is something we should do then you then you have the question of who should we do it to and if it's not uh, everyone that's a big problem i think we should just completely avoid the question of whether we should actually do this to any <laughs> okay. humans okay I mean, that's we, fair we're playing in fantasy world here yeah. this is the x-men this, right. so it'll be another episode obviously we'll do. i don't think we should turn anybody into beast or angel <laughs> right but if we're talking about the ability to boost someone's physical and mental abilities then it becomes a little more tricky right we're not we're not saying turn them into this comic book character we're oh. we're saying things like, can we help this person be healthier and smarter? And that's where it starts to sneak in and get tricky. Okay, I I agree with both of you. Um, but hey, you guys, I want to talk about about fur. Yeah, please do. do I'm you... a bald man. I want to hear about. Okay, yes. do we get blue fur back now? Uh, I don't want a beast that looks like a person. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We can. I mean, you want fur? You can totally get fur. Okay, we <laughs> we have absolutely isolated the genes and, and various um medications and and steroid treatments that are responsible for hypertrichosis, a.k.a. werewolf syndrome, uh, a.k.a. being really hairy. So this then would you be... You just need some blue dye and you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now these are, you know, you've heard, probably heard about stories of folks who, who have suffered from this, who had uh, then ended up uh, leveraging it or having it leveraged for them for... Uh, In a circus so, sideshows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the wolf boy syndrome. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. And, and so so that that's hella possible. Um, <laughs> and and there's and you know there's already people in the in the body mod community who mm. are making themselves through through plastic surgery and implants of various kinds look more feline. Yep. So yep. so the future is now. Yeah. There there's <laughs> definitely the body modification part. If you want to look, uh, at least. With, as far as features go, like the beast, then there's at least the possibility you could do that. I mean, the, the, the disproportionate arms and legs would be a little different. You know, that's not something you can easily alter, but the, uh, the other features, yeah. certainly. Totally. And you can get those little glasses. Okay. All right. Enough about Beast. I okay. think we should move on to the last couple, yes. which we're sort of going to pair together, I think. It because... makes sense because their their powers are so similar to one another. Mm-hmm. Right, which is Jean Grey and Professor X. Now, right. I know these two, and I want to start right off the bat by saying something that might be a little surprising, which is I think maybe out of all of these, something like the telepathic powers of Jean Grey and Professor X are some of the most technologically plausible in the real X-Men kind of sense. And let me explain what I mean by that. 
I, I don't believe in psychics and stuff like that. Right. You know, that you're born with the ability to reach into someone's mind and see their past. But, but, but Joe, Joe, we only use 10% of our brains. <laughs> d- don't go down that Okay, road. all right, fair enough. Okay, okay. No, I want to talk about the way that we have already learned that brain signals can be interpreted by computers sure. and vice versa. And using technology as a sort of middleman you can have brain-to-brain communication and brain-to-brain control. We've already seen this where uh, there have been experiments where humans have been able to control the bodies of animals through brain-computer interfaces. Mm-hmm. D- did you see about this? Like, I did not see yes, about this. Like, yeah. a, like a human uh, wired up through a brain-computer interface can, by thinking, control the muscles in a rat's body, like make a a rat move its tail. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of similar to, to the way that um, some of the prostheses are working these days, where if, if they if they wire it up to your to your skull, you can you can control an, an arm prosthetic, for sure. example, yeah, with, sure. with your brain. Now, if you imagine continually refining our approach to uh, reading and interpreting brain signals through computer interfaces, you can totally see how someone might actually be able to use a computer interface to know what somebody else is thinking about oh, sure. or to control what somebody else is thinking about. The The issue here, I would say mainly, is that we imagine Jean Grey and Professor X can do it without machines. Right. And right now, the what this would involve is potentially very large and powerful machines like fMRI and stuff like that. Well, and right now, the the type of communication I've seen with the experiments that I'm familiar with involve more of a person and a computer display and another person with another computer display and communicating through that. So, in other words, you're not having a direct brain-to-brain communication in that sense where you can actually relay useful information. It would be more using your brain to interact with a computer, the other person on the other side would see the message and then they could think and send back a message mm-hmm. similar to that. And even then I think it's picking messages. But one interesting thing I can talk about that I just saw the week we're recording this podcast was uh, some experiments that were done at Georgia Tech a few years ago where uh, they were working with American Sign Language and uh, working with people who were suffering from an ailment and were going to be locked in. But before they got locked in, locked in being they can no longer move or oh, have wow. no more muscle control, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they would practice signing in sign language and their brain waves were read. And it turned out that someone who was locked in, if they were thinking in sign language to try and communicate a message, the same areas of their brain would light up oh, wow. whether they were able to move those muscles or not. Yeah. So thinking of words and sentences is super like, like that's beyond what we can do right now. Be, being able to say, all right. Uh, when you think of the word Mary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it may be that if you were to give someone 20 different phrases and you and you mapped how each phrase looked every single time they just read that one phrase and then you gave them the option of choosing any of those phrases, you might be able to figure out which one it was they were thinking of if, in fact, they are able to think specifically of that phrase. But that's a lot of ifs. Uh, but it turns out that this is this is promising. It's something we can go down. Mm-hmm. We're just like you were saying, Joe, we're just not we're not there yet. But it doesn't mean that we can't one day get there. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if we ever get to that kind of brain to brain interaction. I'm not sure how useful it is, seeing as how we have other forms of communication that aren't reliant on it, other than in the cases of people who are suffering from these oh, right. uh, uh, maladies. Right. But I mean, for me and you, we can just talk. And uh, I don't know that there's our office environment hasn't gotten to the point where I feel like I need to just think directly at you because I'm afraid <laughs> that, you know, Josh is going to overhear me. We haven't quite reached that point yet. Give it another year. Well, but obviously what will be useful in the future is mind control. <laughs> uh, you know, here's the thing is that uh, a part of me is skeptical about it, but another part of me says, well, processes in the mind are electrical and chemical. And mm-hmm. if you were able to induce electrical and chemical processes out externally, there's nothing to say that it wouldn't work. I mean, you know, part of us wants to believe that there at least is some other element that's outside of that matter. You know, the whole mind body problem that people mm-hmm. talk about, but all scientific evidence points to it's very much 
matter that is at play here. That mm-hmm. if you suffer brain damage, then you can have very a very different uh, personality, for example. Well, yeah, and that brings us to another thing that uh, comes up with Professor X and Jean Grey, which is the manipulation of other people's memories. Oh, yep. sure, sure. Uh, because what you're talking about in terms of brain damage is the inability for parts of the brain, for, for neurons, for neural pathways to reconnect the right. way that they used to. Mm-hmm. And in memories, that's exactly what we've talked about before. Over in the hypothalamus, we have these neural pathways that create, that represent a memory. When you try to remember something, you're actually reconstructing that neural pathway, right? Mm-hmm. But it never reconstructs exactly the same way. Yeah. Well, you can tamper with somebody's memories without getting inside their brain. You just need to talk to them. I mean, yeah. you can contaminate someone's memory of an event just by saying words. Or you can and, just and people let... people are highly susceptible to this. Oh, you, sure. You can just let them be on their own and, <laughs> and ask them to tell the story. Every time you hear the story, it's going to be a little different. I mean, it's just... It's one of those things where we do not remember things perfectly. Uh, yeah. we, we feel we do because it's in our heads and we, we can perceive it as this is something that we can rely upon. I experienced oh, right, right. this and yeah. I have a memory of it's it. It's not that people are lying to you necessarily when they yeah. tell a story differently. They might genuinely be remembering the story in that slightly different way. And it's yeah. why we've often said that eyewitness testimony in court cases is not so reliable because we have faulty memories. And yet we rely on it very heavily in the court system because we find it uh, we find storytelling to be very compelling. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it's the only evidence you have. Yes. Sure, and sure. and that, that's problematic. But it's also I mean, it we're all susceptible to this. It's yeah. not like you were saying, Lauren, it's not that someone's necessarily setting out to to deceive anyone. Mm-hmm. It's just what happens. Right. Right. Uh, but but what about one of those other classic X-Men ish psychic powers, um, uh, illusion, like like projecting illusions? Yeah. So so the way that I understand it and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is just my understanding of this power. My understanding is the way the illusions work is that it's another form of mind manipulation where mm-hmm. in the mind of the person, the target you have created this uh, illusion. So there's nothing physical there. Like if, if there was someone that you had not perceived who is also in that same environment, they would not see the illusion or smell or, or hear the illusion. I, this is, this is another thing that sounds kind of crazy, but I think this is actually somewhat plausible. Well, yeah. I mean, if you were able to, again, figure out with the help of equipment, right. Again, if you were, if you were again, able to figure out the specific, uh, neural, um, uh, behavior that goes on with any given sensory perception sort of thing. Right. And you were able to replicate it. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine being able to press a button and then suddenly you smell roses, even though there are no roses there. I mean, that's something that you can at least imagine if you were able to specifically map and replicate a neural pathway. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, practically what this would look like is if you could put some kind of sensor on the brain that says, hmm, every time this person sees somebody standing in the corner of the room, these 5,000 neurons light up, or I don't know how many would actually In, in be. whatever order, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can pinpoint exactly what that looks like physically in the brain, and then you can just stimulate those neurons directly to do the same thing without mm-hmm. them seeing anything. Would that, would it work backwards? Would they think that they had seen a person? And I think it's highly plausible that they would. Sure, sure. I mean, and of course, all of this that we're talking about, the way that the technology and our understanding of the brain works right now means that you would need to have a direct brain connection, like implants in your brain, electric stuff in there. Yeah, that's sort of a big, big, a big, big a big strike against it. Big dirt clawed and this whole thing. Well, not not only that. Let me... (laughs) It's not just I'm going to control your mind, but first, let, let me, me perform do some, some brain surgery. Yeah, allow yeah. me to. Right. Some very invasive <laughs> surgery. Well, it's not just that, right? It's that there are different parts of the brain responsible for different things. So mm-hmm. in order for us to be able to have a wide spectrum of uh, influence, you have to do multiple brain surgeries with multiple electrodes. One electrode in one center of the brain is not going to do everything. Yeah. Um, you know, you might be able to... to really mess up someone's ability to form short-term or long-term memory, but that would be, you know, that would just be one thing you could do. Um, yeah, so, and, and obviously this stuff we're talking about certainly has ethical issues. Oh, yeah, well. of course. <laughs> one more thing, though, is that if we're including Jean Grey on this, we need to talk about telekinesis, which I think is far less plausible than telepathy from yeah. a technological standpoint. I mean, y- you can... 
because of how brain-computer interfaces are so rapidly advancing, I can see controlling other brains, but there's a direct physical pathway there. There's electronic links. I mean, you can see the method of action that's controlling the brain and understand it. I don't see any method of action to you looking across the room and making books fly up in the air. To me, that just seems like it's not going to happen. Yeah, we'll probably have more to say about even remotely similar abilities when we talk about Magneto in the next episode, because then we can at least talk about magnetism. Right, right. But I I suppose that if you, uh, you know, previous to wanting to move that book across the room, you attached a a small drone to (laughs) the book and had a mental connection with the drone. That's certainly, yeah, all right. Control it. Yeah. If you have what I like to call an assistant, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you tell your assistant, hey, I want that book. And your assistant goes and picks up the book and hands it to you. That's not telekinesis. Yeah, we're kind of defeating no. the purpose yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying. I so- just say just attach very thin filaments to everything you could potentially need in your environment. Have them all labeled so that only you can see them. And then freak out the kids in the neighborhood by dragging the filament so that it just slowly yeah. moves across the yeah, area there, to you. there you go. If, if you live out the rest of your life in a very small controlled area, yeah. you can have a lot of telekinesis. No, do not do this with hot super coffee. <laughs> that you- <laughs> not go well. You know, I think it's kind of funny that in the end, I think y'all would have to agree with me or you can argue if you want, but out of all of the original X-Men, I think the most plausible is Beast. Yeah. The blue guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think out of all of them, I mean, uh, that seems like the closest, the one that we could get the closest to with real technology and genetic already manipula- exists. manipulation. Well, he, yeah, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't emit any weird yeah. waves or rays. Yeah, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have any kind of uh, extrasensory perception. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's he's all, really the least magical. Yeah, he's, he's, which was he's, kind of the point. He's really strong. Like he was very much supplanted by Wolverine, other than the fact that he's smart and Wolverine's kind of a lunkhead. Oh. But um, come hey. on. Or he was. I'm hey. sorry. Hey, we'll I shouldn't, into this I shouldn't next speak time. ill of the dead. Next. Oh, no. <laughs> Look, I, you shouldn't speak ill of Logan anyway. But <laughs> well, this is a cliffhanger for next time. We okay. should wrap it up. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, Come Derek, back to you on this one. We, All right. <laughs> we thank you so much for the suggestion. And, uh, and here's a little uh, glimpse behind the curtain. Uh, while these two episodes may very well air back to back, we're not recording them back to back. So Lauren's going to have a week to simmer about the, the <laughs> aspersions I have cast upon poor Weapon X. And we will have a, a, a knockdown drag out fight possibly with adamantium claws next week about it. But if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes, maybe there's some other just crazy wacky topic that you wanted us to tackle. Like is X possible in the future if there's a question you've always wondered send it to us we will take that x we will do our research we will debate we will discuss and we will have a grand old time and we'll record it so you can hear it but in order for us to do that you gotta get in touch with us so send us an email our address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on twitter Facebook or Google Plus. On Twitter and Google Plus, we have the handle FWThinking. Just search FWThinking and Facebook will pop right up. Leave us a message. We read all of them. We look forward to them. And you'll hear from us again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. 
Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.